You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Church, great to see you. And at home, wonderful to have you online. Uh, We're continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke. I want to invite you to turn to our passage this morning. Luke chapter 21, we're going to look at the first four verses. Uh, The title of this message, I just want you to reflect on it just for a moment as we look to this passage. Not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. That is a slogan that we have used for the capital initiative that uh, we launched a few years ago that led us to a permanent ministry space at Westbrook, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that at the tail end of the service. But recently, I became aware of a family who was audited by the IRS. I'm curious this morning, how many of you have been ever audited in your whole lifetime by the IRS? Weird. Well, I guess that's a good thing, right? Doing the Christian thing, doing your taxes right. So here's the deal. Here's the reason they were audited. The IRS thought they were living too generously. In other words, when they looked at their tax return from 2018, they saw the income they made was improportionate to what they gave to benevolent causes, to kingdom work, to nonprofits. And so they said, time out. Something's not right here. Let's audit these folks. And of course... They came through with God-honoring colors. This morning, we're going to look at a passage that, in many ways, Jesus is like an IRS agent auditing his church and his people for how they give. But please hear me from the outset. It's way beyond giving, because really what we're going to talk about today is worship. It's an audit about our worship, our heart for God, our love for God. That often is demonstrated through our generosity and what we'll call this morning sacrificial giving. So I hope you have your Bibles. Uh, Ouch. Knew it was a little tight up here. Luke 21, 1 through 4. So follow along with me. Really want you to have the text open. Let the Word of God speak. Luke has taught us already. Be careful how you listen. Revelation 1.3 says, Blessed are those who read, hear, and take to heart. So let's let's read the word together. Luke 21, verses 1 through 4. Jesus looked up and saw the rich dropping their offering into the key phrase, temple treasury. We'll talk about that a little later. He also saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. And then he said, and this is a common statement by Christ, King James uh, reads, verily, verily. He says, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all these people have put in gifts out of their surplus. But, contrast, Luke loves contrast. We've seen that. She, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. It's a remarkable passage. Again, Luke loves contrast. That's one of his literary, literary devices. And so we are going to be looking at a poor widow and some rich folks and how they worship God through giving, and I would call it sacrificial giving. But before we go there, 
want to start out with a celebration this morning. Two years ago, Westwind Church went on a journey. We called it a capital initiative, and we've labeled it recently extending our reach. It's missional, right? Extending the reach of the gospel. And so you leaned in a few years ago. This past fall, we refreshed that capital initiative. So I want to give a mini progress report this morning. Uh, the first phase of the capital initiative, we needed $400,000 to put down as a down payment. Here's the encouragement. Thank you, Lord. We received over 100% of what we needed for the first phase of the down payment. And that is a testimony of God's work in and through you because Scripture is filled with the reality that we have the privilege to honor the Lord with our wealth. Now, we're seven weeks into 2021 and a three-year pledge, which is significant why these pledges then help us remodel the Westbrook property. And so the fulfillment of those pledges is enormously impossible. And so I'd like to say again, on behalf of our leadership, Westwind Church, thank you. We're seeing faithfulness again. We're seeing the generosity again. And uh, we're moving forward on point to fulfill the three-year pledging and to remodel the Westbrook property. So to God be the glory, great things he is doing. It is a journey of faith. So I hope you have your Connect cards out um, at home. Hopefully you downloaded the digital guide. We're always encouraging folks, take notes, jot down some thoughts that might stand out. Share these truths with others. That's one of the reasons we give you these outlines. So let's start with the blessing. The impoverished widow's example, please hear me, should motivate each one of us to give sacrificially. Again, Luke lives in a world of contrast. He's always comparing this to that. He wants to set examples before us. Why? So we can grab hold. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, look back to the Old Testament. You know what God has done? He's given us one example, both good and bad in the Old Testament, where we can emulate their faith. Hebrews 11 is all about that, the hall of fame of faith. Emulate these true believers. Here this morning, two examples Sacrificial giving, one's a very poor negative example, one's an extremely, extremely inspiring and motivational example. So three motivations this morning, let's take a look. Number one, sacrificial giving is motivated by the worship of God. And this is so important to understand. This is 50,000 feet. This is primary when it comes to giving to the Lord. If we don't realize that we have the privilege to worship God through giving, then giving will just be a commonplace experience. Biblically speaking, giving is an act of worship. Sacrificial giving testifies to his glory and generosity in our life. 2 Corinthians 8. Though Jesus was rich, he became poor. Why? So in his poverty, we might become rich. What a beautiful picture to emulate. And so let's talk a little bit about this worship thing. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. He, Jesus, so Jesus is in the temple right now. And he's doing an audit. He's looking and watching how people are worshiping. Thank God we don't have to sit in that seat. I don't have to sit in that seat. But Jesus, Revelation 1, with eyes of fire, can see what's going on in people's hearts. And that's what's going on. Sitting in the temple, watching worshipers, and look what he says. And he looked up and saw the rich dropping their offering into the temple treasury. Very important phrase. He also saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. 
It's real interesting, the ancient word for poor literally means impoverished or destitute. This widow had very little. In fact, in Judaism, she should be the benefactor of those who are giving gifts in the temple treasury, and yet it's just the opposite. She's blessing others. She's giving out of her poverty, and the sacrifice is she gave her all. That is quite remarkable. Now, one of the core themes that's so important in the Gospel of Luke is this. Luke wants us to know that God cares about our worship. Please hear me, folks. That is essential. When we opened up the Gospel of Luke over a year ago, chapters 1 and 2, do you remember who we saw? Zechariah and Elizabeth worshiping God in the temple. Zechariah is a priest before the Lord, and he's honoring God. And then God does a miracle in Elizabeth's life. She gives birth in her latter years to John the Baptist, and the kingdom comes. We were introduced to a man named Simeon. I love Simeon. He was given a prophecy that he won't die until he holds the Messiah in his hand. That was fulfilled in the temple. Luke is very focused on temple worship, corporate worship, which we should be focused on too. But then there's a gal, another widow. Do you remember Anna? I want to show you a passage of Scripture if you're able to put your finger in your Bible. Turn back to Luke 2, 36 through 38. Wow. You want to talk about commitment to worship? You want to talk about priority for corporate worship, assembling together like the book of Hebrews does? Look at what it says in Luke 2. There was a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And this statement is just over the top remarkable. And was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple complex in Jerusalem, serving God, how? Night and day with fasting, with prayers. Friends, that's a picture of worship. That's what Luke wants us to capture. We have the privilege, as Jesus said, to worship God in spirit and in truth. But that journey of worship continues. If you're taking notes this morning, mark down this. Luke wants us to know that uh, locally or colloquially, worship took place in the synagogues. We've seen that, Luke chapter 4. Jesus is in Nazareth in the synagogue Stands up, reads from the scrolls. He's part of worshiping. We've seen Jesus worship in Capernaum. He's healed people in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus focused his life and ministry on corporate worship in local settings. And so God is really pro-local assembly. We call it ecclesia, when the church gathers together physically. And then, four times, we have record that Jesus visited Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem in the Temple Mount. And so nationally, they met there for the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Passover, and, uh, and Jesus was very much a part of that. Now, if you are here a few weeks ago, you might remember that as Jesus came off the Mount of Olives, he crosses the Kidron Valley, goes into the city of Jerusalem through the Golden Gates, and what does he do? He enters the temple, and he sees nothing but corrupt worship, and it broke his heart. 
He saw the religious establishment ripping off the people of God in the tune of $5 million a year, historians believe, as they had to, quote-unquote, provide the sacrifices for the people who came to Jerusalem during the Passover, and Christ was angry. It was righteous indignation. Why? They were making his father's house, the temple, into a den of thieves. And John says he took out a whip, (laughs) and he got busy. He cracked the whip. He was angry. And so the conclusion there was, my father's house will become a house of prayer, as Isaiah said, for all the nations, and you have made it a den of thieves. So please don't miss Luke's focus on worship. That's 50,000 feet, but part of worship, one of the acts, we saw Anna, she fasted, she prayed, she served. That's all part of worship. But another big aspect of worship is our giving is our generosity, as we'll see in this passage. Now, I hope you realize that the Bible teaches that worship defines our life. Everyone is a worshiper, everyone. However, what we worship, the way we worship, are not incidental, folks. They are essential to who we are, what we become, and how we glorify God in our bodies. Eugene Peterson, a man I deeply respect, said this, a person's life is only as good as their worship. I want you to think about that just for a moment. I think that is why Luke focuses so much on worship. A person's life is only as good as their worship. The question is, who are you worshiping? What are you worshiping? And how are you worshiping? How sad to know that there were some folks who were wealthy And they weren't worshiping well. It was a corrupt worship. It was a worship that couldn't be a pattern for you and me and shouldn't be. But then there was an impoverished widow who sets an example for worship. And her story continues to be told. Someone said this, if worship is corrupt, life will be corrupt. That's quite a statement. I want to give you two examples this morning. One negative, sad example, Old Testament. If you're familiar with the book of Malachi, this is a classic text. And then I want to give you a positive example of worship through giving. If you have your Bibles, you want to flip to Malachi 3, 7, and 8, but it's on the screen. Notice what God says towards the Old end of the Old Testament to his people. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed, meaning he's patient, he's long-suffering us when we fall short of his glory. Thank God for that. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. And notice, there's this conversation between God and his people. And it seems a little arrogant here, pushing back. But you ask, how are we to return? And then God says, And this statement to me is just incredibly striking. Will a man, will a woman rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, you push back. How do we rob you? And notice the conclusion. In tithes and offerings. Now, I can't go into a full teaching on tithes and offerings, but basically tithes were the one-tenth of the produce. The offerings were those special, exceptional, sacrificial gifts, as we'll see in this passage. 
And so that's a negative example. Malachi 1 says this, you are so dishonoring to me, you wouldn't even treat your local governors like this. You give them better honor than you do the Lord. How sad. Now, a positive example. If you want to flip to Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, honor the Lord with your possessions. And with the first produce of your entire harvest, then your barns will be completely filled. Your vats will overflow with new wine. Honor is a beautiful word. I made an interesting discovery this week. The Hebrew word kabed literally means weightiness, adding weightiness, a heaviness to someone or something. In other words, when we give sacrificially, when we honor the Lord with our wealth, you know what we do? We add weight to his name. We exalt him. We give him glory. We let his fame uh, be declared among us and the nations. Friends, that's what happened this past fall. During the midst of a very unique season of ministry, you said yes to generosity, to sacrificially giving. And we, as elders, I remember, stood in awe of the Lord, and we still stand in awe of the Lord because of the faithfulness of God in and through you. Of course, I don't know people's particular stories. And I, first and foremost, Ellen and I have to look in our own spiritual mirror and take our own spiritual audit. But I wonder this morning if we could just pause and just have the Spirit of God speak, have the Word of God speak. If Christ were sitting across from us this past week, this past month, this past year, and commented on our generosity, commented on our giving. What would he see? That's really the question that it begs. Would he use us as an example of sacrificial giving, of honoring the Lord with our wealth? Or would we be like the negative example in Malachi and the rich who just kind of gave out of their surplus? Friends, only you know the answer to that, but here's the encouragement. It's never what we want from you. It's always what God wants for you. And because giving is an act of worship, we want to worship God in spirit and in truth. We want Jesus to look at our lives and say, well done. You figured this thing out, and it's a hard thing to figure out. Motivation number two, sacrificial giving, and I love this, is motivated by the love of God. Motivated by the love of God. Look at verses 2 and 3 again, please. He, Jesus, saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. I want to show you a picture of the coins. And basically, we know, because we just have a lot of archaeology, this is the smallest coin in ancient Israel at the time. Some translations say widow's might. Literally, it's called a puta. And what it's worth is one-eighth of one penny. <laughs> so when we think of the quantity, we think, man, that's not a whole lot. She put in two, so basically she put in a quarter of a penny. Right? It's hard to pay the bills with that, right? But yet proportionately, that's the point here. What does Jesus say? She gave over the top. She gave all she had. And it begs the question, dear friends, 
question I had to ask, what would motivate a widow like this who's worshiping in the temple, formal worship, corporate worship, to give everything she has? Forget about the amount because the proportion is what Jesus highlights. She gave everything. We call that all in. And I'd like to suggest that the pattern of Scripture is there is an overflow of love towards God in her heart. She understood the first and great commandment to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Part of her giving is just an expression of love. We could look at many examples, but because Luke highlights women constantly, wants to elevate them in their role and status in society, I'm going to stick with women today. And again, we talked about Anna as an example of worship. Let me show you another example Women worshiping, giving, over-the-top generosity. If you have your Bibles, Matthew 26, 6 through 7. Of course, I do put it on the screen, but check this out. And by the way, John, Mark, and Matthew record this. While Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had serious skin disease, a woman approached him with an alabaster jar. Notice the next phrase, very expensive fragrant oil. When the disciples saw it, Oh, she poured it on his head, and the other gospels mention his feet as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw it, they were indignant. <laughs> nice uh, way to translate a very hard word. Why this waste, they asked. This might have been sold for a great deal and given to the poor. How do things like that take place? We know the record from history is that this perfume was literally offered to kings in the ancient world. It was a gift given for kings. We estimate that it was about one year's of wages. Guess what happened? She is overwhelmed with love by the grace and mercy and compassion of Christ. Guess what? She doesn't break out the calculator. There's nothing about tithes here. <laughs> she just takes a year's wages pours out on the feet and head of Jesus, and the disciples are ticked off. That basically is a better translation. They object. Hey, come on, we got better use for these kind of resources. And I'll tell you one thing that I've learned over the years is as we think about sacrificial giving and sacrificial living, we're always going to have an objection we're always going to have another voice. I get them all the time. Voices like, wow, Keith, you were planning that vacation and you're going to shift those resources to a capital initiative. What about that car, that upgrade, maybe a new computer? What about bringing down that mortgage, paying off that mortgage quicker? And the list goes on and on. Wait a second, I've been a part of too many capital initiatives. Enough's enough. And the voices in our mind go crazy. So when they come, what do we do? We look to these examples. She was just all in. One year's wages as an act of worship, sacrificially given. The widow went all in. She gave all she had. What a blessing. Now, there's another example of this, and I would encourage you as a follow-up, read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Paul uses the Macedonian church as an example of giving to the Corinthian church who were wimping out. <laughs> they were going cheap. They promised to support the church in Jerusalem that was going through famine, 
but they had a hard time opening their pockets. What happened? They promised objection, objection, objection. And Paul says, hey, wait a second. Look to the Macedonian churches. Because out of their extreme poverty, same concept, they supported God's work. They gave out of love. They forgot about their poverty. They gave sacrificially. I promise you folks, whether West Wind or 10 years from now, when the opportunity comes for sacrificial giving, there will be one objection after another. I would say this, be like the widow. She gave. She loved. Be like the gal, Mary, probably, with the alabaster jar. I love you, Lord. Here's a gift. I'm not calculating stuff. I'm just a worshiper loving you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now, finally, let's tie it all together. Motivation number three, sacrificial giving is motivated by the mission of God. And I love this. It just flows out of this passage. This was a new discovery for me. Had a lot of fun unpacking this. Look at verse four. For all these people, so apparently there was a fair amount of people, have put in gifts, gifts where? Into the temple treasury. You want to go on a fascinating journey, learn about the temple treasury in the first century. It's a fascinating study. And uh, out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put in all she had. I want to show you a picture this morning. This is an architect who is an archaeologist. Uh, it's a drawing of the temple proper, if you would, in Jerusalem. I hope uh, it brings a little clarity, but I want you to picture where we've been. We have been uh, in the east. Remember, Jesus comes from Jericho to Bethany and Bethpage. And so he's, he's on the Mount of Olives. Uh, he goes down into the Kidron Valley, up into Jerusalem proper through the Golden Gates. We know that. It's just how history and archaeology happens. Then he enters the temple, most likely from the east, and he comes into what's called the women's court. Notice to the right, which is north. Notice to the south, which is left, city of David. There's two treasuries. You know what's real interesting about these treasuries? They, um, uh, there's 13 uh, trumpet-shaped chests. And let me show you a picture of the uh, trumpet-shaped chests. There's not a whole lot we could find archaeology, but this is very similar to what it looked like. And so just imagine you're in a court of women's, there's all those colonnades, there's 13 of these to contribute to. The trumpets, guess what the word is? Shofar, and they're designed like a trumpet, made out of metal, probably copper, and what happens is the rich come in, throw in, ching, 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 goes down the funnel into the bucket, and then the widow comes in with two tiny Pennies, two little mites. Doesn't make a whole lot of hoopla there. And so you know what's going on here? There's a real play on words. By the way, I do have a shofar here. I thought to uh, wake up our kids because I had a young gal. We were out for ice cream a few months ago, and we're having fun in Adele, uh, talking about church and ministry being online. She says, Pastor Keith, can I ask you a question? I said, Sure. She says, you know, when you're preaching on Sunday morning, it gets kind of long and boring. <laughs> I thought, well, okay, a little bit of accountability from a five-year-old. So, 
for this uh, kiddo out there. This is the shofar. It was kind of shaped like this. You put the coins in here, it dropped down, but it's made out of metal. It's made out of copper. Just imagine throwing in whole pockets of change. Cha-ching! Making some big hoopla. Let me see if I can blow this for the kids. Whew. Nate, where's Nate? No. Should have practiced. All right, put that baby away. That was horrible. All right, so so let me. <laughs> I don't know what I was supposed to do. Can that? At least the kids are woke up, right? And that five-year-old at home, payback. All right, so two applications. We'll tie it all together. Luke highlights two types of what I would call mission. Sincerely, I would call this mission. And the first mission was a mission of self. Please don't miss this. And where do I get this from? It's in Matthew 6, 2 through 4. Play on words here. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you. Literally, Jesus, because they had these in the synagogues, the local worship, they have it in the temple. Literally, when you come into the temple, don't take all your coins and make a big hoopla, make a big splash. Why? Jesus says they want to be seen by men and they have their reward today. Come in like the widow, discreetly, honorably, lovingly, worshipfully, and just drop your coins in and honor God with your wealth. What an amazing picture here. Don't trumpet. Don't look for accolades. Don't declare your glory, rather God's glory. That's the picture here. And now the second mission of God is really beautiful. Instead of mission of self, it's mission for God. Let me talk about those 13 offering plates. Here's how it worked, folks. It's a beautiful picture of worship. Some were what's called the temple tax. This temple was built by King Herod. It took 46 years. It was a monument in the ancient world that needed a lot of care, a lot of resources. So the people of God gave to care for the temple. Guess what? Jesus honored that. He celebrated the temple. It's a place of worship, a house of prayer. He came there four times for Passover. Okay, it's extravagant, but it was still a place where the presence and glory of God was manifested. And so when you gave to the temple tax, and many of those uh, boxes were for temple tax, but... There was a designated, and many of them were designated for poor, for orphans, for benevolence, for care. And we have an idea from Mark that the widow came here not to give a temple tax, but rather a free will offering to care for the people and mission of God. I just love that. She gave all she had. In my previous ministry, we had a practice every communion to just take up a love offering. Beyond your tithes, just a love offering. Every year we received about sixty dollars to $80,000 that we were able to give away to people in need in the church and in the community. It was called a benevolence love offering. Exactly what they did in the first century with some of these free will offerings. And so God has a mission, right? He's building his church. Part of building the church is doing what? Having a permanent location like we have now at Westbrook. Thank you, Lord, for that. What a gift. And we contribute to that. But then there's the other part, that sacrificial giving when opportunities arise to say yes to kingdom initiatives. And only God works in our heart to cause us to lean in and and move forward with those. But I hope when opportunities like that come, we'll celebrate him. So in closing, can we reflect on a little bit of spiritual audit? 
I don't want to play the role of the Holy Spirit. I think we know what the Word of God teaches. It's real simple. We get the privilege, folks, to honor God with our wealth. How do we do that? Through tithing. That's just a tenth of income. That's pretty simple. It's called the first fruits of what we receive. But then there's that other opportunity. It's called offerings. And basically, that's what we ask for the capital initiative, right? That it's above and beyond your normal giving, hopefully tithe. And so it's a testimony of sacrificial giving. Why? Remember 2 Corinthians 8. Though he were rich, Jesus, extremely rich, he became extremely poor so that in his extreme impoverishment, we might become extremely rich in Christ. Why do we honor the Lord with our wealth? It's an act of worship. It's an expression of love. And we are people about the mission of God. So one final thought. Anybody here can stand up nice and loud and give the mission statement of West Wind Church. It's a new one. West Wind Church exists to? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I like taking quizzes. <laughs> there you go, man. <laughs> Super. Well, let's embody that. The reason we highlight the preposition, it helps us remember. We exist, Lord, to glorify you, and part of that is through giving, by engaging people everywhere. And you need resources to do that, would you agree? In this beautiful adventure of being conformed to the image and likeness of Christ. Let's stand, let's worship the Lord together, celebrate his generosity in and through his people's lives. May God bless you.